Welcome to My Comic Shop History. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This is the first in a series of three specials tying into the release of the documentary film My Comic Shop Country, available now to purchase or rent on Amazon or iTunes. This episode is an audio commentary track to accompany the movie. Uh, the commentary portion hasn't started yet. We'll take a couple minutes uh, just to get settled in here. Uh, I recorded this episode in early March at Fat Moose Comics in Whippany, New Jersey, with store owner and documentary cast member Sean Hendricks. Uh, we recorded this shortly before everything shut down, but I'm glad that we were able to at least get this episode recorded. Uh, it is designed to be listened to as a traditional audio commentary track, so if you've purchased My Comic Shop Country or if you're listening to this episode within your rental period and you have the ability to uh, queue up the movie, and watch it along with uh, this podcast episode, uh, I think you'll get the most out of it, though you certainly don't need to listen to it that way. Uh, you can simply listen to this as a regular podcast episode, but uh, the way Sean and I recorded it is uh, we had the documentary uh, on an iPad in front of us with the volume off, uh, and we watched it and recorded our commentary uh, as we were taking in the movie. So that's the way we recorded it and the way it's intended to be listened to. Uh, but again, you can simply listen to this as a regular episode. Uh, I want to just reiterate, I hope that everyone is staying safe and healthy and inside. Um, and uh, I would reiterate my plea, if you have the ability to reach out and help your local comic shop, support them in any way you can, I would certainly encourage you to do so. I uh, thank everyone very, very much, everyone who has already checked out uh, My Comic Shop Country. Uh, the response has been tremendous, uh, and I really appreciate it. And before we get into the actual commentary portion of this, uh, I just want to make sure that we give our shout-outs to our My Comic Shop History sponsors. So My Comic Shop History is brought to you in part by a family of film festivals, the Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey City, New Jersey, this August, the Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival in Asbury Park, New Jersey, this September, and the Point Lookout Film Festival on Long Island, New York, this November. You can get tickets to these events at brownpapertickets.com, and if you're a filmmaker, you can submit your work via Film Freeway. Be sure to also listen to the official Hang On To Your Shorts podcast hosted by Chris Cullen, the festival's organizer, on a Shared Universe podcast network, and Chris has a new show out now called Cullen On Film, uh, which you should check out as well. Additionally, My Comic Shop History is brought to you by the Hive Comics and Games, an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas. Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role-playing in a dungeon, the Hive is where to be. Come face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. The Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. In addition to that, uh, during this current um, pandemic, uh, The Hive is one of the comic shops that has implemented online ordering and curbside pickup. So uh, if you're in the area, I certainly encourage you to, uh, to take advantage of that. Okay, so we are going to get into the commentary portion of this episode. Uh, so it runs, of course, the duration of My Comic Shop Country, which is 86 minutes. Um, and I just want to say I want to give my thanks to Sean Hendricks for participating in the commentary. Uh, Sean will be back in two episodes. Uh, 
to tell us all about how he became the owner of Fat Moose. So that's still to come. And uh, next up in two weeks is a very special Q&A episode. I recently put the call out uh, for questions about my comic shop country, my comic shop history, alternate realities, basically anything you wanted to ask me about. Uh, I put the call out on social media, got a lot of really great questions. Uh, and in the podcast, I answer all of them. Uh, so again, in two weeks, we have our Q&A episode. And then two weeks after that, uh, Sean will be back for, uh, again, our special uh, epilogue episode. Uh, so now, without further ado, uh, I hope you enjoy the commentary track to My Comic Shop Country. Uh, enjoy. Come back here in two weeks. Stay safe. Don't be a flat squirrel. This is the audio commentary track for the documentary film My Comic Shop Country. My name is Anthony Desiato, and I am the film's director. Hi, I'm Sean Hendricks. I am the star of it now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're one of our stars. <laughs> uh, star is a strong word. I, I make several appearances in the movie. You're well that? represented in the movie. As I is, am. As is the gentleman on screen right now. Jermaine. He's such a nice guy, man. He really is. <clears throat> so Jermaine Exum, a.k.a. Lord Retail, and a little bit later in the movie, uh, we are going to learn the origin of that nickname and how uh, the people in his life view it. Uh, but here we are at the midnight release uh, of Action Comics number 1000. And... I made the decision early on I wanted to kind of start in the middle of the action here. With my previous films, you know, we would kind of have a little bit more setup and then we would get into it. But with this, I was like, I want to I wanna drop everyone right into an event at one of these stores. Um, and I think, I think it kind of helps pull you in. You're like, why are these people standing outside at night? What are they waiting for? No, it's a, it's a good opening because, yeah, it does drop you right into it. I don't know why that's on the screen. That, that's okay. That's, that's fine. Uh, there now it's we're, we're watching this on my iPad, and it's it's a little. It's an iPad two, and I'm not proud of that. Yeah, it looks good though. I'm <laughs> it very, does. It yeah. works. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> iPad two. It sometimes works. A ringing endorsement. Okay, so here you see everybody lining up for their action comics, and he got Brian Michael Bendis to call the store. Brian Michael Bendis, the yeah. writer of Action Comics. How did he do? Do you know how he went about that? So they have a connection. So Jermaine uh, used to be very active on the Jinx World message boards, oh, okay. Bendis' old message boards. Yeah. Uh, so they initially connected through that, and they've maintained a relationship over the years. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have the chance to actually speak to Bendis myself, but I know that Jermaine told him what I was there to do and that I was filming and that this would be captured on camera, and he was on board with that. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. Real quick. I didn't notice this the night we were filming, but then it, it I kind of, I noticed when we were doing, I don't know if you noticed the gentleman in the red uh, shorts and t-shirt. Do you notice he's he's way underdressed compared to everyone else? It was a cold night in April when we filmed yeah. this. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just saw him. Well, some people, you know, the, the cold doesn't bother them. I suppose. And that, that store is North Carolina? Yeah, Greensboro, North Carolina. Okay. Um, and I got to get down there someday. Stop think, in and say hi. I think you would really enjoy it. Um, and I think what I love about that sequence is it really hits on a lot of things that sort of um, are going to play out over the rest of the movie. Um, from, you know, not knowing how many copies to order <laughs> to, you know, this whole community feel and, um, you know, the passion of the customers to show up at midnight on a Tuesday to get a comic that they're excited about. Desi Otto. There he is. Desi Westside himself. There I am. There I am on screen. I appear only a f fleeting appearances throughout the movie. Uh, it's too busy behind the camera. But, uh, you know, really this whole journey for me kicked off with the closing of alternate realities. That space is now occupied. Oh, what's in there now? 
there is it's an after school learning center. Okay. Well, uh, much like alternate reality, just like alternate realities <laughs> was. But I I'm glad that it was empty when we filmed that because I think it really, it you know it would have lost something if there was something yeah, different there. Yeah. Like to have that empty storefront. I know Vincent. Do you know him personally? I do. Yeah, oh, nice. actually. I don't know him. Dan Greenfield. I know him. You know, hey, look, it's Ben. <laughs> I know. I know a lot of these guys. <laughs> Ben's uh, once again. Ben's a really good guy too. Yeah, I've never met Jermaine. We've we've spoken online and stuff. Um, when I took over the store, he he got in touch with me to congratulate me and said, "If you need anything, you let me know." Oh, very nice. Yeah, super nice guy. There's Ben again. There's Ben. Yeah, I mean, so while we we did cover, we did go from coast to coast. Obviously, you know, the the tri-state area, uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, are well represented, as that's my home base. Can I just take a moment to say how thrilled I am to be in the same documentary as Mark Wade? <laughs> like, and I've I, been a big fan of his for a long, long time. Yeah. And uh, I just, I, I like joking around with customers and stuff. Like, yeah, you know, me and Mark Wade, we just do movies together and stuff. Co-stars, <laughs> yeah. My future BFF, Mark Wade. You know? <laughs> it was uh, it was truly a thrill, you know, to have him. And to it was have, a good get. To have Paul Levitz, you'll see in a minute. Yeah. I think, you know, that adds uh, a little added legitimacy to the movie, to have these people who are so prominent on the creative and publishing <gasps> side. That guy. There we are. You Register know, monkey. Register monkey. You know, it's funny though with uh, Mark Wade, you said he's seen the film and mm -hmm. he, he emailed you and said he liked it very much. So it blows my mind to think that there's a universe in which Mark Wade now ha knows who I am. He knows? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sure, I, don't, I don't know if he's a fan or not, but like <laughs> Mark Wade saw me like right here running off at the mouth and you know I, I would I wonder if he's like oh that guy seems cool or if he's like hey what a maroon this guy <laughs> <laughs> no 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 oh, Justin you. I met Justin at the Yonkers screening we we got there early and he was waiting outside and uh we started talking I said oh, are you friends with Anthony he goes oh well I was on an episode of the podcast I'm like wait what's your name he said Justin I was like Justin DeVoe he goes yeah he goes who are you I said I'm Sean Hendricks he goes Sean Hendricks oh my and it was like when worlds collide and we yeah. sat there outside the theater and talked for like a half hour you know about our experiences doing the podcast and everything and he lives right near me actually and nice. uh as you see later in the movie his insane collection yes of statues and I, I told him I was like I, I gotta come visit your house dude and he said yeah hit me up and we'll find a day where Income, you know, gaze upon the wondrous collection. Nice. So we've had this sequence, you know, hearing people talk about uh, their first shops or meaningful shop experience. Of course, while you see me at the most meaningful store in, in my experience, Alternate Realities, uh, the closing of which really set me on this journey to explore other shops. Uh, this sequence was a lot of fun. Anytime you can put together a musical montage, uh, it's always fun. It's always one of my favorite things to cut together. That song from the trailer gets stuck in my head yeah oh my god that's a friend of yours who did yeah that, ralph right? puma heading okay. west my and that's god, the song that's that you hear right now tune. Yeah. my goodness it's great and it perfectly fit this whole theme of traveling going across the country uh so you see sort of my idea with this sequence uh, whether people are conscious of it or not is that you really see kind of the life cycle of a comic from the store's perspective so we start off in yonkers with paul ordering a comic through the uh, through the diamond system and then you see you know stores unpacking stocking on the shelves you see the customers come in uh, so you really sort of see the life cycle of the comic that was the idea behind that it's very well put together sir oh mark hammond was just on screen i've met him yes i went up to your uh we did our kickstarter, kickstarter party launch party. you you seemed very oh look at that place that looks nice that guy looks a little weird <laughs> um, you seemed very surprised to see me that day when I showed up unexpectedly. Yeah, well, I know it was a little bit of a trip, so That's I appreciate it. Not bad at all. 
the look on your face was precious. <laughs> You're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, why wouldn't I be here? Well, you know. <laughs> you know, so this idea that's that's being discussed here about the variety of comic shops, you know, that's something that um, I, I came. To, I guess I came to appreciate even more over the course of making this movie. You know, there's so much that I think unites shops, but. You really do see, and hopefully this comes across on screen, you know, how each store has its own flavor, its own little specialty. Um, so, you know, that was definitely a goal with this was to try to capture the different types of stores, whether it's the, uh, you know, all ages, family friendly, all yeah, comics or the more old school clubhouse of Fat Moose. We're family friendly. You are family how friendly. How dare you? No. But you are <laughs> okay. self-described. You say it's the closest you can get to being in a store like back in you know, the day. It, it's funny, it comes up later in the film, but yeah, everybody starts talking, we're an old school comic shop, we're an old school comic shop, because <laughs> I think everybody considers themselves that. I mean, a few of the stores in here say flat out, we're, we're not. We're right. more of a, you know, almost a uh, like curated... A, like indie bookstore yeah, type thing. right, like, like Menachem's Place. Yes. Has he shown up yet? Wait, I looked away from the screen. Uh, no, I don't think oh, we've okay. seen, I don't think we've seen Menachem yet. I'm not staring diligently. There's Ben again. Hi, Ben. Oh, look. And then me. <laughs> there we are. Old school comic shop. Old school comic shop. Hey, there's Matt. Yeah, the former owner of the store. You have now taken over as owner, but there you are with the prior one. So here we have There we go. Pod there's Escape Pod. I've got to check that place out, too. I've got to take a week off and just visit some of these places. Challengers. You know, I love that this bit usually gets a laugh at the screenings where Patrick Brower of Challengers, he's like, curated makes us sound smarter than we are. <laughs> 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 you know, we're just trying to stock, we you know, what we think people will like. Well, he also has the quote about uh, when somebody says, you know, I want to open a comic shop. Do you have any mm -hmm. advice? And he says, yeah, don't. <laughs> <laughs> See that? That's cool. I wish I had the budget for an ad at in my store. <laughs> Yeah, Torpedo is really, really something. And obviously you'll see them a little bit later in the movie. Um, but yeah, here's Patrick's bit about, um, you know, people asking about opening a store. So, you know, you mentioned this before in our little preamble to the commentary, but, you know, this starts to unfold now in the sequence. It was really important to me that, um, you know, we captured the realities of running a comic shop, the struggles and the frustrations, but that it wasn't, you know, a doom and gloom look either, that you see ways in which stores are striving to remain relevant and, and are doing so. Uh, so that was really important. But, you know, sort of in the sequence, we kind of lay out some of the global, like, big picture uh, challenges facing stores. And what you say here is kind of like a, it seems like an obvious statement, but it was so important and I wanted to have it in there where you're like, you know, it's, if you're not in it, it's hard to it's hard to understand because that's what I'm trying to do over the course of this movie. So I loved having that quote where you kind of say like, if you're not in it, like it's hard it's hard to show, and that's what the goal is with this movie. Well, it's like anything, you know. One of my regular customers uh, is very much into NASCAR, and I don't get it, but I understand that that's that's his passion, and there are millions of people who are into it, just like you know millions, well millions of people into comic books. I wish, um, but you know, it's like any little thing like that. Yeah, you know it's the people who are in it get it and they're all about it and the, the outsiders looking in are like well why is that your thing you know yeah a moment ago we saw art by uh an artist friend of ours nick justice yay nick uh he drew three panels that sort of represented uh you know quick snapshots in the history of the comic shop from the newsstand to the dedicated comic book specialty shop you see right now uh to what you're going to see uh in a moment which is uh my favorite of the three panels because it really i think captures 
you know, a central tension in the movie and just in the industry today where you have so much interest in the comic book movies and you don't always see that represented. Now, I know I said this wasn't all doom and gloom. But well, you got to have a little bit of doom and gloom. We have to have a little, drama. a little drama here. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there are a lot and there. I mean, to be honest, when I was doing my final cut, I could have added even more of these headlines. You yeah. Know? Um, but I wanted to show like this, you know, there, you know, there is a danger here. Oh, there it is. Is that the one you're talking about? That's the one I'm talking about, where we have people lined up, you know, outside the movie theater and not so much outside the comic shop. You got Paul Levis. How did you do that? Magic. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> A friend of mine was able to put me in touch. Oh, that's uh, great. He was very, he was very responsive and he, you know, he came to Metropolis Collectible. So uh, I filmed him the same day I filmed Vincent Zerzolo. Uh, we just sort of put them in different position and, and lit it differently. Uh, but it was actually in the same room that Vincent was in. And where did you interview uh, my future best friend, Mark Wade? Was that uh, in my, California? My hotel room. Really? Yeah. Oh, all right. This is one of my favorite bits. I love this. Oh, when a customer walked in. <laughs> yeah, because it was a very real moment, and it uh, and it was funny. Well, that's why we're recording today, and the store is closed, and the yes. door is locked, so we have no interruptions. I had to unplug the phone. You know, so here, you know, we have uh, some archival footage of Mark. These are, um, you know, Facebook videos that he puts up. So it was, it was great to have that material to work with. And, you know, he explained a little bit about how, you know, they're one of three locations. You know, for the most part, this wasn't, um, I didn't delve that deeply into the histories of the stores in this, uh, mostly because that just wasn't, I, I didn't feel that was the heart of the movie. Uh, but, you know, even just having a quick thing like that where he explains that they're one of three locations, um, I, you know, I think was, was helpful just to give three a little Three locations. Context. My God. I mean, you got to have a staff you can really rely on for something like that. I've got yeah. one location and I am tired. <laughs> so we just saw one of our action sequences where yes. uh, Paul was flipping through the diamond catalog. <laughs> oh, the diamond catalog. Uh, the, the, the blessing and the curse, you know. You get the diamond catalog and you're excited and also trepidatious, <laughs> like, oh, God, what's going to be in here that I can't afford? I just want to say, you know, you, you know, you saw uh, a, a few specific issues of a comic on the shelf. My One of my goals with this was to try to make this as, uh, this word is going to sound too grand, but as timeless as possible. Like, I didn't want it to be so, you know, I didn't want you to watch this and be like, oh, he clearly filmed this. Right. I mean, the only thing that would date it would be the Action 1000. Right. But... That's that's an event. That's it a was big such thing. a milestone yeah, event exactly. that I was like, no, I'm okay with that. Um, hey, look, Corey. Corey, yeah, more archival footage. You know, can I can I say this? I, I didn't realize it. The day you did the talking head interview with me, mm -hmm. I was very conscious about what I was going to wear. So I wore my Clutch t-shirt because Clutch is one of my favorite bands for a long, long time. So the day you came to the store to film on a Wednesday, I was like, oh, I wish I should wear something more comic booky. So I put on my Ninjas and Robots shirt. Eric Klaus, friend of mine, does that book. It's awesome stuff. And then when I saw the movie in Yonkers for the first time, I realized Corey at Zap is also wearing a Ninjas and Robots yeah. shirt, a different design. <laughs> but I was like, wow, we both wore that. So that's my roundabout way of saying Eric Klaus probably owes us both some money <laughs> for the free advertising. Or at least a nice sketch. <laughs> Eric, if you're hearing this, a sketch would be nice. <laughs> Which store was that right there? That was Acme. Was that Acme? Okay. Cause yeah. I, oh, there's Zap. Speaking of Zap. And there's, yeah, there's an engine and a robot shirt. There it is. <laughs> so now we're, I was teasing before, but now we're really getting into like our true action sequence here. You know, you got to work with what you got. So unloading, unloading the shipment of books. Uh, was wow, look our, at them though. They got moments. like multiple guys working on it. 
<laughs> multiple guys, a lot of boxes, and you know, obviously, there are other stores that would, you know, their shipment is a fraction of the size. Um, and then other stores that order, you know, many more times that amount. So there's very much a range. Every Tuesday when I get the the UPS shipment, I always think, what does Midtown Comics shipment look like? <laughs> like no, exactly. How many boxes do they get? You know, like I can't imagine because I have to count in, you know, as, as some people know, some don't. When you get your new books, you have to take them all out. You have to count them all in, you know, look at the invoice, make sure everything's there, check for damages. And let's say I get, you know, 50 copies of this title. I think, man, Midtown's probably got 350 copies of this title. Like, how many people do they have on a Tuesday processing these books? Yeah, no, exactly. It takes a lot of time. There's some more zap. Uh, yeah, so now we get into uh, a, a key issue in the movie <laughs> as far as uh, reserving comics. And, um, you know, the, the burden that that can put on customers the problems that it can cause for the store when the customer doesn't pick up the books that they've ordered. Uh, you know, so this was definitely something that, you know, needed to be addressed in the movie. It probably is the biggest hurdle facing a store mm -hmm. like this is, is just delinquent customers. And it's a very fine line. You want to give them a few weeks, you know, and then call them up and be like, hey, you know, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. I always try to couch it with some humor. Yes. I'll get them on the phone and be like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. I thought maybe you were abducted by aliens or joined the witness protection program or, you know, just making sure you're okay and, you know, just seeing if you're still planning on coming in and, you know, and I never guilt anybody. I say, if somebody says, oh, I, just, I can't do it anymore, I say, that's fine, but, you know, I need to know. What, what Wade is saying here, uh, I think is really important. You know, he's talking about how, you know, the way this model is set up is so different than other types of retail. And it's like, you don't, you know, the way a, a customer is expected to pre-order comics is typically not the way, you know, the customer would approach other forms of retail. So, you know, that was really important to me. This was a, a, an interesting section of the movie because I needed to, I wanted to make sure that I did justice to, uh, you know, people who are in the industry and may, might know some of this, um, but also kind of lay everything out for people who have no idea how a comic shop is run and like why, like what is the big deal sort of thing. So, uh, you know, hopefully that segment accomplishes both of those things. Uh, it definitely does. I mean, it shows that you have to prognosticate, to use a $3 word. You have to guess what, what are people going to want two months from now? You know, oh, there's uh, Spider-Woman number one comes out in two months. Okay. And there's eight covers and, you know, there's a one in 25 incentive. And so what is in your budget? What can you move? You want to have enough on the shelf that everybody who wants one gets one, but you don't want to be stuck with a lot of overstock. It's it's right. Yeah, that, that final Thursday of the month when you have to get your diamond order in is a challenge. So these two stores, Comic Asylum and Pack Rat, they're not in the movie, um, really just out of um, logistical limitations. I wasn't able to go back there, but I was there with the podcast um, of my comic shop history back in season three. Uh, so it was nice to kind of have them represented, even if it was just in that quick, small way. Well, that one post with the stack of comics, the over $1,000, that, that went viral, viral. Sure at least did. within our community, you yeah. know. It, it wasn't just, on the Tonight Show, but it did. Well, but within the comics industry, <laughs> like it, it got a lot of traction. So, and then of course, this idea that Sarah uh, is speaking about here—the lack of returnability. Yes, which varies. You know, DC is okay with it sometimes. It, like, there's certain things you can return, but yeah, it's not like uh, back in the newsstand days when you can return almost everything. I believe, right? Yeah. So we're heading now into the first of a series of vignettes. 
sort of uh, chronicling the closing of alternate realities. These vignettes, it's really funny because when I first finished my first cut of the movie, I sent it to like less than a handful of people, people whose, um, who I knew weren't going to be at that first screening um, and whose opinions I valued and they've seen my prior work, all that stuff. And uh, they were kind of split. I had a couple people who were like, you don't need the AR stuff and a couple people who were really on board with it. And obviously I kept it because... I, I think you absolutely needed the AR stuff. I mean, this is where, this is what kicked off the whole thing without ar there would be none of this to me this is the beating heart of the movie and it's the emotional thread that ties it all together because yes it, it it's important to my journey and to why we're doing this but also you know throughout the movie you're hearing about like how hard it is for comic shops well maybe what's not being said explicitly but which is very much underlying everything is well if stores can't overcome these challenges there's the risk of closing and here's the tale of a shop that closed and what that closing entailed and how it impacted the people there well you know a lot of the people watching this may not know that you did a documentary focused on ar specifically called my comic shop documentary that's right what year was that released to that well i made it in 2010 and played rich. at festivals like in 2011 uh yeah rich Roney. so watching also, yeah. that now though it's bittersweet because towards the end of that film everybody's mm -hmm. talking about Ah, Steve always says he's gonna close, and he's not gonna. This store's not gonna close, and then dun dun yeah. dun, he closed. Exactly, and so and when you see those little snapshots of life at AR on on film, th those are uh, very brief clips from like this uh, from that first film, my comic shop documentary. So obviously, this movie is designed to be watched on its own. But if you've seen my prior work, uh, you really kind of get the long view of alternate realities. You see some familiar faces, and uh, you know Bill in particular. He really uh, he carried a lot of these AR vignettes. Uh, he really gave me a lot of material. He's someone who loves the store more than anyone it comes across i feel so sad for him during some of his talking head segments in this i'm I, like man this guy's broken i don't <laughs> mean to cut you off <laughs> oh yeah, yeah this yeah. is my this is one of my favorite scenes where paul asks this customer how are you liking your dc books mm -hmm. and for the life of me i don't know what the customer says in response oh i'd have to it sounds like it. he's saying like i don't know I, I really don't know what he's saying he might be saying i appreciate it not sure, but I love it. And uh, well, now I got to rewatch. We're watching this on mute, obviously, so we can comment on it without the audio leaking into this commentary. Yes, there's Menachem. There's Menachem in action. You know, and so this is. Um, and by the way, during this sequence and at other points in the movie, well, I guess I could speak about music generally. But uh, when I did my final cut of the movie, I uh, was able to get in touch with uh, a wonderful musician. Uh, he has a band, Basic Printer, and so um, I was able to inject a lot more music at various points throughout the movie, including here. Um, and I think it really added a lot. So I'm grateful to him, as well as, of course, our other musical contributors. But well, this, you know, uh, I, I am a bit of a musician I know. myself. So moving in the future, oh, moving for along. Sure. It, oh, yeah. You, know, you never know. I could, uh, could help out on that front. That would be wonderful. <laughs> um, but so this whole scene, I mean, this is the role of the retail. I mean, this is a, you know, a major part of the movie. From the beginning, you know, I knew it couldn't, this movie couldn't just be the retailer. We needed to explain the relationship that creators, publishers, customers, and collectors have with the stores. But that being said, you know, these shops are so retailer-driven. You know, the, the person behind the counter really gives the store so much of its identity and flavor. It really does. I mean, um, even shopping at Fat Moose early on, when I started shopping here in 2001, um, Elon was always here, and you get used to that guy behind the counter. So on the rare occasion that he wasn't and he had somebody filling in or sometimes his wife would fill in, 
perfectly nice people, perfectly great people, but it throws you off because you're used to seeing right. your guy behind the counter, you know? And certain stores have, you know, different guys depending on the day or the time and customers get used to that and they, they tailor their visit to those times because they're used to, this is this is my comic book guy. This is the guy I talk to, you know? Yeah. Or, or gal, not to be sexist about it. I'm saying it is a well, general term. <laughs> appropriately enough, as we have, uh, you know, a, a female uh, shop retailer here. Oh, she's great. She's funny. Yeah, she has one of our funniest lines. The best how, do you, how do you have a million dollar comic shop? You start at $2 million. I wish I thought of that. That's brilliant. <laughs> but, you know, this is, um, you know, when you talk about like how, how do stores strive to remain relevant, right? So, yes, there is this collector nature that drives so many of us i include myself in that and that keeps people coming back to the store because they want to hold the physical item they want to pick out the perfect copy all of that but i'm equal to that i would say you know is you have uh, the ability of the retailer to connect them with the right stories just like you're doing right now with tom rainey tom rainey close personal friend my pal artist tom's awesome man you insisted that i put up a little a little bit of text identifying oh yeah that's tom rainey man yes (laughs) speaking of text so when you took over as owner I messaged you. I said, I, I'm doing my final cut. I said, I can change the title from Register Monkey to Owner. And I said, but I kind of like Register Monkey. But I said, I defer to you. And you, you wanted to keep it as is. Yeah, because this is a snapshot of that time. I was not yes. the owner then. It right. would be uh, false advertising. Yes. And like you said, Register Monkey gets a chuckle yes. from people. Yeah, there are only a couple of instances where we have something a little more colorful. Here's another one, Head Nerd in Charge. Head Nerd in Charge. Um, also a great title. Yes. And this, so, okay, so this gets at um, something that, you know, if we had more time, if this were a miniseries, I probably would, you know, would do even even more on. But uh, this whole idea of, you know, we're talking about how pe- oh, people feel welcome at shops. Well, unfortunately, there are times where people don't necessarily feel so yeah. welcome. And for women in particular, uh, which Ariel was just speaking about, you know, um, I'm glad that we were at least able to represent that. Uh, and touch on that. I know there's a fuller discussion that could be had and should be had. Um, there wasn't space for that in this, but I wanted, it was very important that we at least address that. Oh, it, it's, sadly, it's common. And we discussed uh, prior to this recording that a lot of times you want somebody behind the counter who's knowledgeable about comic books and, you know, nerd culture and all of the pop culture. And unfortunately, on the sliding scale, a lot of times the more knowledgeable someone is about this stuff, the less sociable they are because they're the reason they know so much about it is because they lock themselves in a room and read comics 24 seven. And so right. a young woman comes into the store or and they get a little flustered or a little, just, I don't know. And, and it's, it is a real problem. And I'm, I'm proud of this store because we we're kind of known for just being all welcoming. You know, we never, I, I just don't get, I've been in stores where they were awkward to me and I'm like, I'm a middle-aged white male. What, what, <laughs> what, what are you threatened by? <laughs> like, yeah. <I'm, laughs> But it, it's real. I like that line about they call the dealer. Me a dealer, yeah. I'm the same. I mean, you have to the the art of the upsell. You know, I've been known for that. Where a customer's like, "Ugh, I know if I come in and Sean's there, I'm going to spend more money than I anticipated." Because, and I will never sell somebody garbage. You know, I'll, right. I, I I'm just what I love. I try to pass it along. I'll tell people buy this book. If you don't like it bring it back next week as long as it's not beat up i'll give you store credit towards it but i've never had one person bring a book back because i know what they're gonna like i know my people i know the product uh like tom king's vision the vision uh, a couple years ago i read issue one on a tuesday night when it came in i was like oh my goodness 
Can I just say yes. how, how happy I was to be able to catch Jermaine's parents? You know, especially we talk about like Lord Retail and his nickname, like all this stuff. To be able to have his parents here, I feel like people are probably not expecting to see them on screen. I was not expecting to see them in the store. He so quietly came up to me. He's like, my parents are here. Like, you might want to get them on camera. Oh, that's great. Mark Hammond. See, that's something I'd like to do more is some Yeah, the live release short videos. videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, like that's, he has a lot of fun with those. And that one was especially entertaining because he had co-owner and comic book creator Franco there. Usually he does them solo, perfectly entertaining solo, but, you know, having someone to bounce off of, I think, really helps. Now, here we have uh, a moment where you, re- you really shine and you talk about... Wow, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, but you talk about the, like the, how you have to be a bit of an entertainer. And you are literally an I love that you have the free comic book day shirt. That, that picture I'm not so proud of. I was making a face. Sorry. But no, that's fine. I'll, I'll let that one go. If you would say, I would have, I would have swapped it out. No, no, me. no. That's that's what I look like. What can I say? What What's I say? playing on the background of the, the screen in Fat Moose? <laughs> I wonder if any eagle-eyed viewers <laughs> caught this. That was, uh, that was my big idea. Yeah, well, you played my prior documentaries. because um, So in virtually every instance, I went into stores. I was like, listen, you know, because a lot of stores will have the radio playing or have something on the TV screen. And I was like, I, you know, for uh, copyright purposes, <laughs> we, we can't have that. But I own those movies. So that was said, my okay, idea. I thought, I don't, I don't want the TV to be off because there's something about a TV turned off that just looks sad. It looks like the store's yeah. not open. And I said, well, what can I put on that? would be fine. I was like, oh, I have your movie here for your documentary. So my comic shop documentary and By Spoon, the Jay Mizell story are both playing uh, whenever we're at Fat Moose and you see something on the screen. Uh, that's what that is. Yeah, somebody asked at the screening in Yonkers during the Q&A, like, whose idea was oh, that? Yeah. You gave me credit. I appreciate that. There, I couldn't think of anything else we wouldn't get, you know, sued for. <laughs> So, you know, like I said, you know, we didn't get into necessarily, in most cases, we didn't get into like the history of every particular shop, but the personal history, at least to the, the extent possible within our time frame, that was important to me. And so, you know, we have this montage of, of retailers talking about, you know, what they did before, for example, uh, or what they currently do now, like Eddie, you know, being a comic book creator, in addition to being a retailer, um, you know, to echo what Mike Pellerito said, you know, they're, you, <laughs> you retailers are interesting people. <laughs> this is probably my favorite, as far as humorous uh, moments in the movie, this is my favorite and it has gotten the most consistent reaction at the various screenings. Ralph. Ralph, that he always looks like he's hiding. <laughs> He's great. I've actually become Facebook friends with a lot of the guys in the movie. You know, we all reached out to each other nice. and I'm, I'm Facebook buddies with Ralph. We've, we've interacted online. What was so funny was while we were filming, uh, frustrated might be too strong a word, but I found it challenging. It, I Exactly what Gabe is saying on screen, like it, it was challenging to keep up with Ralph. He was like zipping back and forth and... At various points, I'm like, oh, like this is like it's very hard to film him. But then I was uh, once I had these talking heads, I was like, oh, this can all fit together, and you can literally see me struggling. <laughs> I love the line. I think Gabe says it about, uh, how does he have all that energy? He's a vegan. Like, <laughs> I know, I you know, I was Steph and I were talking about that. I don't know how the vegan community will will take that. Oh well, my girlfriend's a vegan, and oh. when we saw the screening in Yonkers, and he said that line, she went, hey, <laughs> I, no, I, yeah, listen, I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian, but you know, however you live your life. So I I hope no one is offended. (laughs) You're going to get a lot of angry letters (laughs) on recycled paper. This guy was cool. Like he was just in town. Um, He's a fighter. Uh, He has like an Instagram account where he posts like Spider-Man facts every day. Really? Yeah. Chris Giarusso. Yeah. Chris drew the key art for this season of the podcast. 
you know, I was going to comment on that um, at the top, very top of the film, the the flat squirrel. Franco. That was Franco. That was yeah, Franco. You, you get all the top guys, man. They're good guys. They've they've uh, they've done me a bunch of solids. He's got do, his own pop. Do you know pop. what that? Well, do you know what that pop is? No. It's uh, Bernard from um, Westworld. Oh, really? So with so, with a couple of modifications. Right. Who modified that? Uh, a customer of his. Oh, really? Customer wow, that's his. A, see, now now I'm jealous. I need somebody to make a Sean Hendricks pop. The uh, well, after this movie comes out, <laughs> sky's the limit. But oh yeah, sure. I'm sure there's gonna, Chris Wilcox gonna be stocking a lot of those. As far as other yeah, <laughs> as far as other moments that consistently get laughs. This whole, I could not love this more where Jeruso's like, he might not have given himself the nickname Lord Retail, but he sure made sure. He definitely ran with it. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody Hey, that's great it. though. Yeah, good nicknames are hard to come by, you know? And I think that's the thing that's so interesting about Jermaine is that, you know, it's this, this grand nickname, Lord Retail, yet he's so humble and soft-spoken. He is. Well, now let me, I'll, I'll go deep and I hope Jermaine forgives me, but... I remember you had told me that it took him a long time to get around to watching the copy you sent him because he was afraid that he wouldn't come off well or he'd embarrass himself. But You know, to be honest, I don't even know if that's the reason. I think it was just, I don't know, just the prospect of seeing himself on screen. I mean, I don't it's know. It's daunting. It is. I mean, and you know, I'm a performer. I'm a musician. I've been in videos and things. But just the idea of when we went to the screening in Yonkers, I, I, Nicole and I were at a little place getting coffee and i was like i'm really nervous and she goes what are you nervous you never get nervous about this crap like i know but this something about this feels much more real to me you know you know uh but so as far as i know he still hasn't seen it but hopefully still as far as i know jermaine i know which means he's probably not listening to this or maybe he'll listen uh, to this without watching (laughs) jermaine come on man um (laughs) just you know that honestly like i you know i hope I hope people are happy with their um oh this is great this i love this (laughs) this is great just the the verbal runaround that he gives because <laughs> this is another instance of like while filming you know I'm, I'm holding the camera during this whole bit and i'm thinking to myself I, I can't like this is this goes on for too long what can i do with this you know but i'm like all right we'll see how it plays out and then as i'm putting it together and we get to this whole bit about like he remains so cryptic like he'll never give you a direct answer i was like oh i have like a great example of this now i i love it <laughs> I, there, the text the text went through a bunch of iterations whereas i was trying to land on like the right like w- like what will convey to the to the viewer like exactly what we're getting at no, the, here. the text is what ties it all together it's great it, it, it's got a nice flow to it if you notice austin's head and he, he gave a great expression uh just a moment ago <laughs> where jermaine's like i think i'm being clear and austin's like Argh. yeah i guess they're used to that sort of thing with him yeah but this was, you know, I was, I could not have been, I've, I feel very much at home here, but I could not have been more at home with Lord Rita. I mean, again, I come from alternate realities and Steve Odo, who lives by a set of what he calls Odoisms yes. and refers to himself in the third person. So as far as like, like this kind of like larger than life personality and these, these quirks and eccentricities, ah, like I, I love it. I'm I, there for it. Yeah. I wonder, you know, what people would say about me like oh sean well he's always doing this or oh, that thing he always says and because i you can't see it internally right. you know there's chris chris wilcock he, a friend of the show been on the podcast a bunch educated me uh tremendously on pops and he um will kind of carry that a bit uh, later in the movie when we talk about funko pops but here he's talking about he was perfect for this because this guy you know he runs multiple businesses he runs multiple conventions he attends a kind of a ton of conventions so, you know, to kind of hear him talk about, like, everything that, you know, sort of goes on on a daily basis, uh, you know, just the various tasks. Yeah, well, you know, I, I've praised you for your time management skills, but he's another example of how does one man yeah. do that much stuff? He's up all hours of the night. 
this I love. Uh, can I be honest? This usually does not get a laugh at the screenings, but I love it. And so I kept Wait, it. Wait, which part is it? <laughs> this is when you're talking about how, like, there's no time to read comics. You're always doing this or oh. that. And then you you get you get stuck. You're like, oh, a lot of times I just read comics. It doesn't get a laugh. That's brilliant. Usually. That the timing involved in usually. that. Usually. I know. I, I'm a fan. You know, that's where... Uh, well, thank you for keeping I it. I believe in it. And I'm like, no, that stays. That stays. Well, that was an honest response because at that time I was working Sundays. Yeah. And, you know, especially as a musician, you get home late on a Saturday after a gig and on a Sunday, you're like, I'm not... I'm not doing anything, man. I'm just going to read comics today. <laughs> Look, I worked at a store a lot. I didn't read a ton of comics on the job, but, you know, occasionally. But it is, you know, research as well. It's part of your job. Yeah, research. Totally. Definitely. That's, yeah, that's valid. <laughs> These pop displays, you know, speaking of uh, Chris Wilcock, I spoke with him a few weeks ago. Somebody wanted to sell me a collection of pops, and I wasn't sure of their value or worth or market value. And so I, I called them. Yeah. And nice. he answered the phone. I said, "Can I speak with Chris?" He said, "This is." I said, ah, "This is Sean Hendricks from Fat Moose." And he goes, "Oh, hey, man! Like that's the thing with all of us. We've right. all seen this, and we all feel like we kind of know each other, even though we've never met." But he gave me the advice to get the Funko app on my phone. I scan the barcodes and price these things up. It's super helpful. It just we all have this odd sense of connection because we're all in this thing together. You brought us. You've built your own sub community here basically that uh, that warms my heart no i love i love that i love that you guys have connected that's uh, fantastic yeah. oh i guess we should oh, keep the talking. Light, yeah the life uh <laughs> it's hard without the sound i know I, <laughs> even for me i've seen this footage countless times they've seen it a couple of times i would imagine this was a uh menachem provided this um i don't know who in his world uh drew that but uh part of his origin story yeah when he was putting up, when he was starting his store, he had like this whole sequence. There was like a whole uh, bunch of strips um, about, you know, his like being on the train on the way to his job at the time and, and, and chronicling so the, yeah. uh, the, the journey. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's not an easy road. Now, again, there, there are a couple of things like did it make it into the movie? There are, you know, there are retailers who have made a more, uh, it has been a little more lucrative for them. But I think what you see on screen is, is representative of the majority. Hey, that spinner rack mm -hmm. that Steve sold, he regretted it because I came across a spinner rack and he bought it from me. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, didn't you have one? He's like, yeah, I sold it. I don't know why the hell I sold it. Oh, there you were for a second. I was there on a, in a photo for a moment. Oh, so this is uh, the closing down, huh? This is the dismantling. That must have been a lot of work. How long did that take? The, well, I mean, the, the heart of it was like a little over a week. I mean, Bill basically <laughs> was the one who spearheaded the, the majority of that work. Um, so this was, this was a very important sequence uh, and I have to give a shout out to Jason Medina. He provided me with most of the photos. Some of the photos were mine. I took a few uh, during this period, but look I was at, look really at the, look at the expression. I know. Look at the sadness. But I was really more focused on the podcast at the time, so I wasn't really chronicling this, documenting it, you know, with photo or video. Uh, so Jason provided a lot, and that that really helped a ton, helped bring this to life, as opposed to people just talking about it. But you actually see the dismantling. Well, let me ask you a question. I that. All of these shots of Bill and of Rich with just this dark black background. Yeah. Conscious choice or like where did you film them? And uh, did yeah, you, it was no accident. Was, well, yeah. I mean, I know you know what you're doing, but was it kind of to highlight the sadness or I mean, yeah? Did you like uh, get a little CGI, a couple of rain clouds? <laughs> that was we filmed that at our apartment and we had a black backdrop. Okay. And then I did a little bit of tweaking in post to... Uh, 
darken it even more. It's funny. It's telling because, you know, all the other headshots of, you know, it's the store in the background colors and comic, and these ones talking about the store closing are just this darkness, just this black. And that was that was the intention behind yeah. that. And that's why I figured. And, you know, as far as like framing the interview shots for, for the stores, you know, it was very important. I wanted to show as much of the store as possible. That's why, like, when you see Chris Wilcock, you see this vast wall of pops behind him. Um, because I wanted to make the most of the space that we were in. And with talking about alternate realities, the space was gone. And I also wanted them, I wanted this to have a very distinct look and feel compared to the rest of the interviews. Uh, and there's the sign, which, you know, hopefully you've all watched the movie already. You'll know that that sign comes back later. And may come back someday again. You never know. Well, at least at the convention you're doing, right? At least you're going to bring this yeah. I wanted to go to that, and then I bought a comic shop, and now I can't go anywhere. <laughs> I was going to surprise you and show up at the con, and now it's like, oh, I, got, I got stuff I got to do. Oh, well, oh there's that, to have you, but we that Nick Justice artwork. Yeah, we got a lot of mileage out of that. You know, we, we pan across different ways. <laughs> Nick just, uh, he's leaving Jersey. He's, I know. Yeah, moving down south. I know. Sorry to see him go, but, you know, it was great to, um, it was great to have this. He's a great guy. Uh, so this so this sequence now gets, you know, we talked about, like, the day-to-day challenges of trying to figure out how many copies of a book to order, getting people to, to pre-order, to pick up their books. But this gets at uh, really like big picture questions about the comics industry and growing, you know, how do you grow the audience? You know, and again, this, this dichotomy between the popularity of the movies and the fact that stores generally don't really see that translate uh, into people walking into the shops. Well, especially this day and age. Um, I love when kids come in and they're, they want to read comics. I, I will give them some free comics sometimes. Just be like, oh, thank you so much. Like, you are into nice. this. Like, you're the next generation. You're going to keep this alive. You know, my average customer is my age, you know. And, and uh, we're all going to be dead soon. So we, we need that next generation. There's Elon. There's your hey. former boss. That's the prior owner of Fat Moose Comics. The founder of Fat Moose Comics. 1982 he opened. Yeah. I believe on April 1st. This, this, again, was something that was important to me uh, to survive the various cuts because I wanted, I feel like there's, it's an important wrinkle here. And Paul Levitt sums it up very well in a little bit where he's like, you know, if you run a bake shop, the quality of what you sell is up to you. But, you know, if you run a comic shop, it's like you're selling product and it's, it's not, um, you know, a, a product that, um, you know, like a widget or something where it's like there are certain technical specifications that need to be met and then you have a solid product. Like, it's art. It's extremely subjective. And, you know, what the publishers are putting out doesn't always resonate with an audience. And you're, as a retailer, what do you do? It, it's funny because a few people, uh, there's a point in the documentary, I forget who says it, says how they, um, they're just not enjoying the new stuff. You know, that the characters don't feel right and everything. And... You know, I, I have customers like that too, but I don't know. I there's so many current comics that I think are excellent, and a lot of my customers enjoy. I mean, that's still my bread and butter is the weekly books and people coming in and grabbing up a stack. You know, like oh, I want every single title DC publishes. I'm like, well, God bless you. All right, come on, and you can have them. But you know, people complain a lot about the quality of today's books, but I don't. I think it's like any time I go back and read my books from the 70s, and there's a nostalgic love for them. But I can go back and read some copies of Ghost Rider and be like, this wasn't very good. But, you know, it was at the time. It was all I had and I loved it. But I don't think it's a current thing that, oh, today's comics are terrible. 
there's always been good and bad comics right. throughout the ages. And I, I certainly wasn't saying that as like a blanket statement, but just that at any given period, you know, you, you know, you're not quite sure if what's coming out is going oh, to sure. connect. And, oh, we're definitely at the mercy of what's right. being sold to us. Yeah, that was more, that was more the point that I was yeah. trying to make. But, you know, here we have Paul from Spider's Web. He got very candid <laughs> oh, yeah. about his frustration. And uh, again, that was really important uh, to me to have that represented in the movie here. That's why I try to read as much new stuff as I can. And if I find a gem, I push it as hard as I can. Be like, look, this is good. Like, you know, it may not be in your wheelhouse. Maybe, you know, you, you don't enjoy this particular genre of comic, but give this a shot, you know. Right. That's like there's that scene with um, Lord Retail where he's talking about the comics that he's bringing home on a Tuesday night to yeah. read. So he's well-versed on Wednesday to know what's good, what's bad, what, you know, what he wants to push. And I try to do the same thing. I'll bring home a stack of comics on a Tuesday night and I'll get about two comics deep and just pass out. <laughs> but, and then here, you know, we saw the headline about DC, um, you know, selling comics to, to Walmart, uh, comicsology. Yeah, that, that, all that did stuff. not help. Thanks, DC. Jerks. You know, but again, <laughs> I, you know, it speaks to this idea of, you know, publishers looking beyond you know, the shops and how, you know, that potentially, you know, uh, retailers might be nervous about that, but that, you know, overall, I think the, you know, the, the goal is trying to expand the audience as much as possible. Well, if, if that leads people to the comic shop, right. You know, then that's great. If somebody gets one of those DC giants at a Walmart and, you know, they only have a couple titles there and they're like, oh, I really like this. And then maybe they do the research and go, oh, there's a store that sells just this stuff. Let me go check that out. I'm all for that. Menachem, uh, we, we joke about how he's outspoken. Um, oh, he's, he's great. <laughs> he's very passionate. And uh, in this sequence coming up here, uh, you're going to hear more about his philosophy towards the store. This, this was kind of more, this speaks to, again, how Ralph views his store, Alternate Reality Comics. But uh, just on a personal, I just found it so interesting, the fact he doesn't have a, re a new release wall. The trades and single issues are, are mixed together. Uh, just different than you typically see. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very much its own business model. And it seems to be working for him. So, great. Yeah. That's that's the one thing that, that comic shops, they either have a new release wall every week or they put the new releases with the other books, you know, from the past couple of weeks, but with a tag like new this week, new this week. That's what we do. I've considered switching to doing one big wall of everything new this week. Hmm. But that comes down to, let's say somebody wants a new Spider-Man. They're going to go to the new wall, grab Spider-Man. But if it's mixed in with the past exactly, other titles, yeah. they might be like, oh, Spider-Man. Oh, look, there's a Spider-Woman. Let me mm -hmm. check that. Yeah. So everybody's got their own way. And uh, even within that, Matt and I used to argue when he owned the store, he would put Amazing Spider-Man under A for Amazing. Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man is under F for Friendly. And I said, right, no, no, yeah. these are all Spider-Man titles. Put them all under S. So if somebody wants Amazing Spider-Man, they're like, oh, wait, there's a couple other Spider-Man titles. Right. And it was an ongoing struggle between the two of us. Ah, uh, eter that eternal debate. Well, it's not eternal anymore. That's right. <laughs> I file this stuff out where I see fit. And I argue with myself about it sometimes. And, you know, here, you know, you know, between uh, Ralph and Menachem and Sarah, you know, really talking about, um, you know, what they carry. And I think that's such an interesting piece of this, too, is that, you know, like Sarah says, like the reason their LGBT section is so large is because it keeps selling. So it's like, you know, you could potentially reach more people, um, you know, in terms like the, the the role that what you stock as a store, the role that that can play, the impact that that can have. Oh, yeah. I mean, for example, we don't sell much manga at all. For those not in the know, those are Japanese comics that have been translated to English. 
Um, we have one small bookcase of stuff and it's half price. When people come in and buy one, I say, thank you so much. <laughs> we just don't have an audience for it. And there are stores in the area that do and they do well with it, but it's just not something that my customers are looking for. These kids were great, by the way. Yeah, he's got his own little, uh, at, little at all, group yeah, there. Comics. Um, you know, for anyone wondering, like, really not much in this movie, was, almost nothing was, like, staged or really, you know, pre-planned. Um, like, I didn't know these kids were going to be there. It worked out great that they are, and it, you know, really speaks uh, to the whole feel of that particular store and this larger idea about trying to bring in the next generation of readers. So that worked out extremely well. Yeah, that's the thing. On the days that you film, you have no idea who's going to walk through the door. You have no idea. I mean, like... I mean, James Robinson, that was... James Robinson and J.H. Williams. Just like, happened to show up. They were customers at Alternate Reality Comics in Vegas, and they just happened to be there. Like, it, you got it some star out. power in this thing. I know. You know, I knew, obviously, <laughs> Wade and Levitz were planned, but, you know, to, to catch those other guys... And Tom know, Rainey. It was, it was amazing. And Tom Rainey. How could we forget? <laughs> Close personal friend. He's, he's awesome. This... Uh, I love this bit, because this is a perfect example of, you know, uh, you know going back to this idea of the movies you know not necessarily leading to uh, new comics fans um, here's a store like taking an active very proactive step it's very to try smart to achieve that it's very smart bring the product to the people uh, and this uh, this was very critical to me to have represented this idea of like well why why aren't you necessarily seeing the crossover and I had somebody asked me the other day they said oh so you must get a lot of business when a new movie comes out and I said no <laughs> oh look there's Nick and Octavia yeah, the regular customers mind. They're awesome. You were so gentle here in your explanation of. I'm a nice guy. You are. You're so gentle. <laughs> it's my job. I'm a raging lunatic behind the <laughs> scenes, but you know when I'm behind that register, I'm a nice guy. Yeah, but again, about people not know, and and you know this is, I think is the sort of thing where. I think this is important for people to see who are in the industry, but especially the non-initiated who are watching this, who assume that, you know, the comic shops are doing great because the movies are. You know, I think this really, uh, you know, helps explain. And I got to thank Brandon Montclair. I use, um, when, when Wade is talking about, like, how to read a comic, these are pages from Brandon's comic, Rocket Girl. Brandon, of course, a comic book creator, but he used to be one of the owners of Alternate Reality. So once upon a time, when I was in high school, he was my boss at AR. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's a real concern, how to read a comic book. Like, my, my girlfriend loves genre stuff, Walking Dead, Buffy, Star Wars, and she loves to read but she can't read a comic book. She goes, I don't know, do I look at the picture first and then read the text? Do I, I mean, guys like us who grew up, it's second nature. You don't yeah, think you about don't it. You don't think about it. Marvel is releasing a book, I think in a month or two, called How to Read Comics the Marvel Way. And it teaches you how to digest a comic, how to take it all in at once. Because it, it I, I don't know, for us, you don't think twice about it. But for an adult who's never read a comic, it can be daunting. Yeah. Ah, uh, here we go. Uh, Odo, Odo wearing a My Comic Shop Country t-shirt. Yes, that's smart. While being filmed in My Comic Shop Country. I don't think that was by accident. That was not an accident. <laughs> it was not my choice, but it was... Well, there's nothing wrong with that. It was like me putting the, your documentary on in the background at my store, you know, during the scenes. I suppose. Uh, so... It's very meta. Yeah, this was, <laughs> you know, again, as far as the... As far as the AR sequences go, you know, the dismantling of the store and then this whole warehouse sequence uh, are like, I think, one-two punch. And, you know, I don't know always what viewers' reaction to this is. I don't know what they think about uh, <laughs> this these, these warehouse spaces. Well, you know, the, the few people I know who've seen this who aren't like us, you know, they, they've asked like, well, it, is it 
the same cost to have two big storage spaces as it would be just to keep the store open and try to sell it? You know, I mean, like, what was the rent and the utilities? Because storage spaces aren't cheap. So would it have been better to just keep the store and try to blow everything out cheaply or... You know, I, I I don't know. I'm asking you, so maybe this, you have some insight. I mean, this could be a whole. This could be a whole, <laughs> we could do a whole hour on this. But basically, no. What he's spending on the warehouse is, it's it's substantial, but it's also substantially less than he was paying in rent okay. for the store. But you know, keep in mind when he had the store, he had new products coming in every week. Right. You know, you uh, now you know he's selling on eBay, and he does have hundreds of items listed, and they are selling. But you know, it's uh still a relatively slow pace right well ebay you know ever since i took over the store everybody's like oh ebay ebay should sell on ebay first of all i don't have the time and secondly i feel like 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 steve like if i wanted to sell on ebay why do i have a store why am i paying rent and electricity and everything i want a store i want people to come in and buy it from me in person i can upsell i can make connections with them on ebay they buy the thing they want right and then you got to package it and ship it. And then, oh, the corner was dented. Well, I didn't do that. You know, and then you get bad feedback. I just, I have very little interest in it. Moving down the road, I'll probably have to use it, at least to get rid of some dead stock or whatever. But at this point, I just want a nice, healthy store. And I want to focus on that. I have very little interest in eBay at this time. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, regardless of what, what people's take on this is, and I leave it up to the viewer to decide like oh it seems like a good plan or not <laughs> you know <laughs> uh you know t to me really the, the the reason to show this is to show you know that he kept everything and that he set it up really to look like a store you know we have a couple of shots in there where you see how very close it looks you know to the actual alternate realities i mean as much as he wanted out and was very clear and vocal about that you know his original online statement Mm -hmm. paragraphs of, of uh, bitterness. Um, it's hard to let go of something. And I, I think this is quite obvious here. Yeah, He could have just gotten somebody and tried to sell it all in bulk, just get it the hell out of there. But this is a kind of way of holding on a little bit, you know, unless I'm very, very wrong. Coming up here, this was something that I added for the final cut, this little musical montage and this back and forth of peeping like of people being like, pops, no pops. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm tremendously pleased with this segment. The, the editing on that part, oh, when it just, everybody's like, ah, oh, screw Pops. Uh, and then it cuts to Chris, surrounded by Pops. I, I, I chortled <laughs> during the, the screening in Yonkers. Pops, you know, I, I'm a fan. I will be candid. My interest in them has, has waned a little bit. I'm not as avid a collector of them as I was a couple of years ago. But I've been I, to your place. You've you got a, a the, sizable collection. We do, but we haven't added to it that much recently. But uh, I do appreciate them, and I understand the appeal of them. And I thought they were a perfect, perfect representation of this tension between the more old-school shops that really want to be comics, graphic novels, and then uh, the sort of newer breed who have diversified their product line a bit more. Uh, and again, I think Pops you know, perfectly encapsulate that. Oh, yeah. No, it's great. And uh, I believe, I don't know if, I looked away from the screen. If I don't know if you showed Ben yet, and he talks about that. Like, yeah, Ben's coming up. Yeah, like, it's not really my thing, but people seem to dig it. You know, you saw when you came in today, you were laughing, because I've got... And now you ha you were in the movie, you're like, I've, some stores, they got a wall of pops. Well, now I have a small wall of pops. Um, I, I took in a collection, and um, 
one of my friends says, well, your store's not really known for having pops. I was like, right, because we've never had pops. So let me bring these in and see what happens. And I'll tell you what, I sold a bunch of these things, man. Like, I'm going to continue to get pops, just not a ton of them. But I put them right next to the all ages books because I'm no dummy. So kids come in, they're looking at the all ages books. And right next to that, these little pretty cheap, you know, cute toys that are very colorful. And parents would be like, all right, you want these comics? Oh, you want this little, you know, $9 plastic pop. It's harmless. It's cute. Boom. It's a sale. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with pops. Is when you filmed this, we just didn't really carry any. Right. And, you know, first of all, I'm not, you know, my, my, I'm not looking to make a statement with this movie or this podcast right <laughs> now to say like, oh, stores must carry them. It's like, you know, it really depends on your clientele if there's an, an appetite for them or not. Um, I mean, do I think stores would do well to at least give them a shot? Maybe. I'd probably go so far as to say that. You don't know unless you try. Uh, but they are their own market. I mean, it's it's a whole other product line. But, uh, you know, again, I thought this, this tension was, uh, I was glad that we were able to capture this. And this is the sort of thing, uh, going back to my first movie, um, this is the sort of thing I love to do when I'm conducting the interviews and then when I'm editing this together where it really becomes like a back and forth between people who are on opposite sides of the country and have never met, but they're, you know, speaking about different sides of the same thing. He was wonderful, by yeah. the way, John Hitchcock of Parts Unknown. He does not want any part of those pops. <laughs> he does not. And he, you know, he really represented very much that older school mentality. And, you know, in his defense, like he said, we've been here for 35 years, you know, so... He's obviously doing something, You know, right. more power to him. And that was an instance where, you know, I was in North Carolina to film at Acme. And I don't, I don't want to paint Parts Unknown as like, oh, there was an afterthought. But I was really, you know, the trip was built around Acme. And right. then we were like, well, we have this opportunity to check out this other store. And it worked out great. And a, a decent bit of his interview made it in there. Yeah, no, he's, he's good. He's insightful. He knows what he's talking about. Steph loves when he says those other stores will <laughs> die. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, Pat Callanan, he has since retired. Oh, really? He's, he retired and one of his workers took over the shop. Oh, okay. I was good, just going to ask if that... Uh, oh, here's Dan. My pal Dan. Yeah. <laughs> All the white glove. That gets a laugh at, at uh, screenings. People love the... the and you, you know, the hand gestures, too, I think, really oh, go a long way. Oh, I'm Sicilian, so there's a lot of <laughs> hand gestures going on. <laughs> you know, but this, too, I mean, I think this speaks to so much of what what drives people to come to shops. I mean, you know, yes, it's the community. Yes, it's the relationship with the retailer. Yes, it's the ability to make recommendations. But there is also this really big piece of like people, you know, people are collectors and they want that. The that best feeling. copy and that, you know, I've had people come up and hold them up to the light. And yeah, this was another thing that uh, one person suggested I lose the, the collector bit. And I'm, oh. glad I, I'm glad I kept it because I think, you know, visually it's interesting and it's different than what you're seeing at the stores and but beyond that i mean yeah i think you really get to it was important to me that it's like you see what happens when people take this stuff home that right was like the idea with right this. this shows the other side of it like yeah. you know follow the collector home and see what they're doing with all that stuff they're buying yeah exactly dan greenfield 13th dimension uh he's been a friend of the show as well he's been on the podcast a bunch of times he's written a bunch of articles on my various projects this was the smallest hottest room to film in that you could possibly imagine <laughs> really yep so this is at his house this is at his house in the attic we filmed it was the summer oh boy the summer in the attic yeah wow what a, aren't you shocked that i have imagery of someone uh making a, a customized death of superman display i it's know a character for I, me, it's right? strange you think you know <laughs> That played out longer in the original cut. When I did my final cut, I um, I just wanted to let the visuals tell the story there. 
Well, here, I know this is one of your favorite segments here with all the superpowers collection. Oh, look, I love the line. You know, the super- I don't think I ever owned a single one because back when those were popular, I was just a straight up Marvel kid. Yeah. And I looked at those like, Psh, nobody wants these. Yeah. I mean, it's such a gorgeous line because I think it's I think it's the color especially of the packaging. I think it, it really catches you. And the figures themselves are so simple, yet they're such classic, iconic representations of the characters um, with minimal detail. Like, it's ama- they're beautiful figures. So, um, yeah, we had to put that in there. Now, uh, were those released around the same time as the Secret Wars figures for Marvel? Well, probably, it's probably around yeah, the same time. Probably I'd have to check time. that. So I never even had any of those, I don't think. Uh, but Alan, you know, Alan's been on the show. He's our superpowers collector and toy customizer. I talked about this on the podcast. Like, I came to him because I saw a commercial for his store on cable one Thanksgiving a few years ago. Like, randomly. I never, if I hadn't been watching The Honeymooners at that time, <laughs> he wouldn't be in this movie. Oh, wow. So, it's it's funny how these things come to be. You know, that reminds me, speaking of uh, customizing the toys, I heard uh, my, my pal and coworker Justin reached out to you about somebody to do custom toys to customize a figure am i mistaken no, I about think that you, i think someone fed you some bad information uh, but we'll get to I the bottom it. of this but uh, i am happy to put anyone in touch with Al, or you can reach out to alan if if you're looking for uh to have something customized it's vintage it's vintage um, oh, okay this is what i'm talking about here justin justin justin's Beau, collection our jersey collector ridiculously cool justin does this wasn't you know the focus of the movie but he does an amazing low speaking of lobo he does an amazing lobo cosplay yeah uh that he's done for a few years at new york comic-con and other conventions and that's initially how we actually have a mutual friend um who attended the same law school that i attended and now work at that's how uh, justin came into my, my orbit uh, and Frank was a former customer of alternate realities because he was in the previous documentary he was he? not he wasn't no oh. Maybe I've just seen this one so many times that maybe. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's cool. I love that. Yeah, right. That that uh, that worked out well. I was digging through Dan's uh, Facebook photos. <laughs> I said, "Oh, that'll work." Yeah, I, I told Justin when I met him, I'm like, "I I got to come to your house, dude. I want to look at this stuff in person." He's like, "That hey. also was a tight. That was a challenging space to film. It's in tight. Yeah, it looks the, pretty the tight. Space and the lighting. I mean, so you know, that was definitely one of the challenges with the movie was." Um, just navigating around, you know, these different stores. Like, it was sh- hard shooting, and I, I'm one camera, you know, so it was hard, like, shooting, you know, with the counter in between, like, trying to, like, run back and forth. Oh, hold on. Garden State Comic Fest. Garden State Comic Fest. This, too, you know, so when I was designing the movie, it was sort of like, what are the different aspects of running a store that I can show that will be visually varied um, and kind of give us different places to go? And so one of the things was like, well, something that stores do is set up at a comic convention there's There's nick Nick justice our artist yeah that garden state comic fest it's the only con that i go to every year yeah no it was a cool show it was perfect for filming because it was big enough that there are enough people but it's not new york comic right it's not cramped i had room to maneuver so uh yeah that was great to uh to be able to capture there ben and Corey. ben Corey. the life of a Comic slinger, as Ben says. Yeah. Ah, uh, so now here, which so now we're really in our final, you know, really like the final major piece of the movie, beginning first with the, the collectability, and now shifting more into uh, the back issue market. Which, you know, you talk a lot about how challenging it is to to run a comic book store, and it is. But there's this incredibly robust <laughs> back issue market. Uh, that that's oh, kind of wait. That's here we go. Here we go. 
Oh, wait, that wasn't... That that's, was, coming. What a, that's coming, don't worry. It's coming, it's coming. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, uh, uh, how does one even find one of those? Where did he find it? Did he tell you? He, I mean, like, they, they seek these out and people well, yeah. come to them, you know, at this point. Like, they're known for this. It's got to be worth a couple of bucks. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, it's funny because it's like, now I've seen this footage so many times, but it's always whenever that... Um, that plays at a screening or something like you hear gasps when he talks about how it sold for over two million dollars like people you know would, would never expect that of a comic ah and then here's Torpedo Torpedo so we were just at Metropolis where the action one is and it's great but you know what's so funny I was reading about Metropolis online ahead of time I had never been there before I went to film and I read about like their showroom and I was expecting something like you see at Torpedo. And then I went there. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, they keep everything kind of. <laughs> but at Torpedo, like they have the space. You know, they're out They're out in the desert. Uh, they have the space for this. And it is, a st- hopefully it comes across on screen. I mean, it's a stunning display. Now, this is the place that's owned by the drummer of System of a Down. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I know he's a big comic book guy. Yeah, that's amazing, that spot right there. That's why I was inspired to have a friend of mine do a little bit of photo trickery and Yes, the, the photo of me standing in there. You had your friend uh, put your your photo in the in place of all the comics. Oh, one night I was looking at, it, I was like, you know, let's replace all of those with pictures of me. That no, was very funny. It's a good time. I said, Anthony's either going to love this or he's going to be. Like, Could you please stop doing this kind of crap? No, no, I was like, but so like you know, with this, it's like I I can't say I would ever describe myself as like a big back issue guy or a vintage back issue guy. But it's like when you see a display like this. I mean, have you ever seen that many CGC comics? No, it's astounding. Now, let's discuss CGC comics. Yeah, I'm not a fan. No, I get the it. company or the idea no, of grading. The idea of slabbing. Okay. Professionally graded is one thing, but once you slab a comic, to me, it's it loses its comicness. It's not now. It's just. It could be just the cover behind plastic. Like mm. I like to see, of course, yes, an action number one like that. Don't touch it. Don't even look directly at it. But, you know, for a lot of these books, I just feel like, why would you want to slap that? Like, I get it. And it, the value goes up. The perceived value goes up, whatever. But it's no longer a comic book. You can't take it out and look at it and smell the the dusty pages. And mm. like, that's that's a big part of it for me. And I get, I understand it. It's just not what I'm into. Yeah. No, and that's fair enough. But, I mean, I, th- I guess it's like that insurance policy. It's like if you, you know, like they're graded and then you know they haven't been opened right. since then. So you know what you're getting. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure there, I'm sure there are people divided into those camps who like the slabbed versus raw books. Yeah. You're a raw man. I'm a raw book guy. I don't know. Like I said, it just loses a bit of appeal to me when it's slabbed because now it's just a chunk of plastic. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I there was there was an intention to um, now this is go on new a ride along. No, that's been there. What are you sure? Yeah, oh, that was that. But Sundown. there was an intention to go on a ride along with Ben from Zap when he goes to buy a collection, but it didn't work out. It he apparently he was asking uh, sellers and they were not comfortable being on camera or really? having the transaction filmed, um, which I think it would have been interesting, but. Uh, you know, I think the discussion that plays out is, is more than enough. And you see, you know, in the footage that you were just asking me about, you see someone come into the store to sell something. Oh, Ben. Ben will go anywhere, man. Yeah. He, I almost sold him my collection years ago. Uh, my collection is in my sister's basement in Branchburg. And uh, he's going to come down and take a look. And we just never coordinated it. And I'm kind of glad because I own a comic shop now. I'll just sell them through here. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit at a time instead of selling in bulk and, you know, taking a hit financially. 
the some of the dialogue that uh, I, I picked up at Torpedo is a little little a little rowdy. It would have been might have challenged our PG thirteen feel here a little yeah, bit. Yeah, there's a couple curse words in there. I I, I was very cognizant to not. Yeah. You know, so, uh, uh, when we do the podcasts, and you know, I'm, I'm always trying to watch my language. But uh, well, that that's Gabe. Yeah, Gabe. Uh, Gabe. Yeah, Gabe, Gabe lets super, it fly, yeah. man. He lets it fly. You know, so it's a funny <laughs> thing where, like, you know, I I didn't have the opportunity to sit down with uh, John Delmai and the System of a Down drummer who owns Torpedo. I did get to meet him briefly, but I Great didn't drummer. film him. And it's like, I'm sure that would have been interesting. But like, Gabe was so much fun to have on camera. Just like, I mean, now you are the owner, but at the time you weren't. You know, and that was important to me too. It's like great to speak to the owners, but I know I was a staff person at a comic shop. You get a different perspective. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, yeah, as the, you know, just a worker bee, you know, you see some of the shop owners in this, you know, crying about distribution or the product, and that cuts to a guy like me with not a care in the world, like, yay, comics, you know. <laughs> that was, again, that was very much a, a goal of you. I just wanted as many different perspectives uh, see, represented the, as possible. That's the trick now as the owner to not lose that youthful enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. You know, to, I, I got to pay all the bills now, and I got to do all the ordering, and I got to take care of everything, but... uh I, I can't see a time anytime soon that it will make me bitter or not uh, enthusiastic about it because I love this crap. Yeah. Ah, uh, there it there is. There we are. One of my... Now, how close were you to just like shoving them and running away? <laughs> no, I was very, you know, I was very uh, overcome in that in that moment. I mean, we cut away, but I was, um, it, it really meant a lot to me to be able to, you know, Superman's my favorite character. It's funny, Superman what? became a little bit of a theme, right? Because we open on the Action Comics yep. 1000 release. We have me holding Action 1. In a moment, we're going to go to an Action 1000 signing at All Yeah. And there's the uh, It's Vintage where he's customizing yeah. the Superman. Hey, listen. Ah, and here's the signing. That's a great store. I was in there that one time. Yeah, the, talk about challenging filming. That was it was packed there that day. I'm very happy for them. It, it made it a little bit harder to. And my poor wife, she was having people sign releases. So you know, in the background oh, yeah. of all of this, like she's going around having people sign releases. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a little. Otherwise, little you'd have to blur everybody's faces. And <laughs> uh, but yeah, this was. I mean, this was a lot of fun. It was great to. Um, that was the first time I met Peter Tomasi. Super cool guy. Uh, the other creators were wonderful too. Paul Levitz made a surprise appearance. Oh, this is a very important. So you know, we talk about like different how each store has its own flavor. This store is a, a coffee shop. Yeah, are you allowed to like walk the floor, the sales floor, with coffee? And yeah, there's snacks? a sign that says like, oh, right there. It was on there okay. for a second, <laughs> but there's a sign that said, please keep your beverages covered. Yeah. Uh, and then I don't believe you're allowed to bring material, reading material, into the cafe area unless okay. you've purchased it. I think that's the policy. Man, I'll tell you, running a cafe is hard enough. Running a comic shop is hard enough. Then you combine them, it's like whew, doubling down. On yeah, I mean, like the if headaches. People, yeah, so like you know, we only had time for you know to get into this so much, but you know, people can listen to the uh, podcast I did with Ariel from Amalgam, and it you know for them, a lot of it is about yes, building their own community within the store, but also about how they serve the larger community in that area of Philadelphia mm -hmm. and. You know, I don't think you have a Starbucks on every corner there. Uh, like you do. So, you know, it, it, what they're doing is a little bit different. I wonder what the percentage works out at. Like, what percentage of people are just going there for comics? How many are just going there for coffee? And how many are in the middle? Like, I want coffee and I want right. comics, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a breakdown, but I know like she definitely said, like, there are plenty of people who, like, it's their coffee shop. That's great. 
See, as soon as I get my liquor license here, we there you uh, go. <laughs> I'll have a whole different dynamic. <laughs> you know, Levitt's paid a paid a great compliment to Mark and all. Yeah, he complimented them on the size on the size of the crowd that they attracted, and I, I shared that with Mark. I know that meant a lot to him. And there's Frank again. Well, like they say, you know, when you're doing an event like that, there's always that moment of like, what if nobody comes? You know, and it's it's it real. It's real. It's happened. Where we've had events, and it's like. You know, very slight turnout, and I've done screenings where it's a very slight. Oh, turnout. I know. It, you know, it's a it's a <laughs> tough thing. I felt bad. He had that one post on Facebook about it. I was like, oh, it's okay. You pal. know, I try to be diplomatic, <laughs> but sometimes you know, listen. Sometimes there's some frustration, and it's hard to. And I, I always try to keep things positive when I'm posting, but at the same time, I wanted to show the reality. Oh, of you're it, a human being. All, yeah. yeah, part of it was expressing myself, but part of it was also just saying, like, listen. Sometimes things don't go the way you want. I like this idea of having live entertainment. Yeah, I mean, again, like, you know, how, you know, Brandon asks the question earlier in the movie, Brandon Montclair, where he's like, how do you, like, what is a store to do if you're not the primary channel anymore? And I think all of these things that you're seeing throughout the movie, whether it's specializing in these high-end collectibles and vintage back issues or events, whether it's a signing or a book club or an album release or a coffee shop, like whatever it is, I think these are the answers to that question. Yeah, diversify and try something a little different. Yeah, there's your crew. Uh, here's where we all talk about how we don't all get together the way we used to. And it's, I mean, it's, it's the, the truth. I mean, the bonds are still there. The friendships are still there, you know, but the, and I think, you know, sort of small groupings still get together, but the large ones are very rare. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I used to hang out at a, at a bar in Booton called the Booton Avenue Grill, and that was our hub. That was the focal point. If I didn't have a gig, I'd go there and everybody would be there. I knew everybody. And it closed down a few years ago. And we're like, all right, we'll just go to this other bar. We'll meet up over here. And then it just slowly dissipated. And I'm still friends with all of these guys and, right. and gals, but we don't have that that central location anymore where you know when you walk in, you're going to see your people there. You exactly. Know? And all of a sudden now there are active steps that you need to take. And, you know, if uh, unless you really have the initiative to do so, it's easy. It's much easier to just kind of let it fall away. It's tough as you get older and you get responsibilities and... What did you think about what Rich says in a moment here about how he's like, I will come to Fat Moose. And it's not a knock on the store, but where he expresses how he's like, I'm conscious that it's not like my store. I, that makes me feel terrible, honestly. <laughs> no, because Rich is great. He was just here the other day. Um, I feel like I don't want him to feel that way. It is his store. You know, he's more than welcome here anytime. Like, you know, you'll see when it cuts to the footage of him here. Yeah. Nobody's looking at him sideways, you know, like. Oh, boy, I wish I could have used the audio for what you guys are talking about. I don't remember what there. the hell we were talking we'll talk about. off mic. <laughs> it was about oh, a God. negative a negative uh, experience he had with a certain creator. So oh oh, I do remember that. You know, but again, like I, I know he feels welcome, but it's still and I do I like I understand. No, this. I, like, I I get it. I do get it. It you know, still makes me feel bad though. Hey, look, there we are. Yeah, the infamous are. door <laughs> in the stairs. Your entrance is in the rear, right, Sean? Yes, it is. A classic yes, line in our seventeen steps of doom. That's a steep staircase too. <laughs> All right, so when people see this movie, a lot of times they think that Dan is a plant because he's at both Zap and Fat Moose. And these were filmed on the same day. And um, I saw him at Zap. I told, I introduced myself, told him what I was doing, had him sign a release. Saw him a few hours later outside outside here. Completely forgot. Didn't didn't make the connection. Didn't, didn't recognize, recognize him. him. Nope. Well, he so it also not, it not planned. He also visits like two or three other stores every Wednesday. Hey, that's, he's got his routine. Yeah, that's what he does. But now this is, you know, we get to see you in action here. Yeah, this man. is our little segment. Holding court. This is the part I always fast forward to. I know. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, 
it's my home now, man. It, it has been for a long time, but now I am here a lot. I love the I love the green in the background there. That was uh, Scott's deal when Scott bought the store from Elon. Because um, it was just like kind of a brownish wood paneling sort of grandpa's basement vibe. So he's like, we got to brighten this place up. And I believe his actual inspiration for the color was uh, from the comic shop on Big Bang Theory. Stewart's, oh, okay. Stewart's shop. Yeah. Yeah, typical Wednesday. Everybody just busting each other's balls and I know, I know you did you did you let people know filming was going to happen. Oh, how, yeah. how much did that impact the attendance that day? Or is that is this what it would be like anyway? Honestly, I expected more people. Oh. Yeah. Um no, Wednesdays it, I have a, a new box holder he signed up a few weeks ago and he comes in on the weekends with his wife and his daughter and, and we hang out and chit chat and I said, You gotta come by on a Wednesday. Meet the crew. Like, you know, Wednesdays after like five thirty to closing at eight, you know, that's when I get everybody comes in and hangs out he came in on a wednesday and he's like holy crap <laughs> there's like eight or nine people here all hanging out broken off into separate groups um and he's like oh is every wednesday like this i was like yeah pretty much like instead of stopping off at the bar for happy hour my guys come in here they get their books and they hang out and chit chat for an hour or so so you know as we we still have a, a decent bit to go in the movie but we're really now at the part where um we're sort of summing up here and you know everyone's talking about what uh the routine means to them um and this you know uh, for me you know all of these projects and and you know i mean this one in particular especially since it's you know it reflects the closing of a store that meant a lot to me and the sadness that went along with that but also the you know the joy of like meeting you and all these new people and and uh going to all of these new stores like there's a lot wrapped up in that for me but you know at the end of the day like it's all from the heart you know it's very much a love letter to my store and to shops in general and just this idea of a place that uh you know where you feel a sense of belonging where you can be yourself um so yeah i mean it's all all from the heart well, oh but before the heart we have uh <laughs> oh the, the infamous <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, this debate. You know, I have to say, like, I was at Zap on a Wednesday for a little while, and, like, people were coming in and out, and, like, a minimal chit-chat, really. Like, it was pretty much like people came in, they picked up their stuff from the shelf or their box, they paid, you know, hey, how's it going? Have a nice week. That was it. Um, then Ruben came. Oh, Ruben, he, he's then a Ruben character, came, man. Ruben's and, cool. And then this gentleman, Joe, I believe is his name, uh, and they got into this, again, spontaneous, not planned, not scripted. They just got into this debate about uh, Joe started ribbing him about wearing a Plastic Man shirt, and it went from there. And it's one of my favorite moments. And I think it this is like it, it is you captured a little bit of magic right there. You know that and, and the guy you said his name is Joe. Yeah, his little throwaway line at the end of this scene was just perfect. It, it almost feels like it was scripted I know. because it, and it, the timing of it is so great. And you don't expect this, the, the response he gets from this guy. Who's wearing a Punisher <laughs> shirt. wearing a Punisher shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I feel bad for him because he's like, all right, this guy's, he's wearing a Punisher shirt. He's clearly going to be on my side. <laughs> no, I wear I plastic. That. Oh, there's Dan again. Double dipping Dan. Double. <laughs> <laughs> no, he tells, he goes over to Time Warp. He goes to a couple shops. That's his, that's his Wednesday routine, man. He pops in everywhere, buys a little bit from everybody, which is admirable. You have a great bit coming up where you talk about how you're like, you know, as a kid, like growing up, like not having anyone to talk about the comics and now having the store, like it means everything to me. And it ties everything together because you tell the story in the beginning about being in, in the high school cafeteria. Yeah, like I was the only a, geek. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I never ashamed. That. I was never, never shy about it. I was into comics. I never hit it. You know, but people bring baked goods. People oh, get birthday cards. Yep. 
I've got a lot of that now. Now that I own the store, people just bringing me food, bringing me alcohol, bringing me action figures, and it's great. And I think, you know, when, at the end of the day, it's like there's a lot about a comic shop that's distinct from other stores, and a lot of those differences make make running a comic shop challenging but then there's this whole other side that also makes it i think a lot more rewarding like i don't know that people are bringing baked goods and birthday cards to the the people at best buy right you know so i think it cuts both ways he pat got kind of emotional uh not quite in this soundbite but where he talks about like i, I feel like i spent my life well mm-hmm. yeah, i'll tell you when, when during my interview segment i there were a few moments where i felt the eyes getting a little watery. I'm like, no, don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Look at this guy. It means everything to you. It really does. Which I'm now proving by taking up the <laughs> awesome <laughs> responsibility. <laughs> you know, and I hope, because I've been asked like in interviews and things like, what do I hope people take away from this? And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they'll, they'll take from it what they will. But, you know, if, you're watching this you know if you have a comic shop experience that means something to you if you've ever had it or if you have not but you sort of long for this type of experience whether it's at a comic shop or something else i you know i hope that this resonates with you and you know maybe makes you feel something i can't see how it wouldn't if it makes you feel nothing you are dead inside and need some help (laughs) (laughs) now this you know like you said before this is a love letter to the the comic books you know shops and it absolutely is because you did this with no idea of it would anything would come of it. With you didn't do it for personal or financial gain. You did it because you love this and you wanted to honor it. You know, you've got a real job. You you, don't, you didn't need to. You put in time and money, countless hours and money on equipment and everything. You know, it's this is uh, it's quite obvious that you did this out of love. Well, no, I appreciate that, and I hope you know. I hope that comes through. I like to think that it does. And a uh, great, great note to end. This has been in all the trailers and everything where, you know, Jermaine's like, you know, there's something about a comic shop that cannot be replicated by add to cart. Another great line that I wish I thought of. And now we get into our final sequence here uh, where the voiceover returns and uh, we go back to our alternate realities group because it, you know, it begins and ends with, you know, my comic shop and there, there it, is. it is empty. Um you know, and again, this idea, so this last sequence gets at a larger idea that was important to me throughout this process of the space. I just want to give Bill a hug. He just I seems know. so sad. <laughs> Bill, if you ever come to the store, I'm going to give you a big old <laughs> hug, man. I'm serious. Yeah, he wore his heart on his sleeve during, yeah. the, during the filming of this. But, you know, and within our community there, I think there's what most of the guys in the sequence articulate is what you would hear from the larger group i think which is like hey like you know we don't necessarily miss the physical store that much like we miss the fact we don't all get together but that the space in and of itself i I think is important and you know bill you know gets gets right at that idea and then it plays right into our our final moment there where uh, odo and i meet at his garage um, but, you know, that's the thing. Like when we talk about these communities that the stores form, you know, yes, it's driven by the people, of course, um, but it is within this space. So the space and the place um, m- matter to me, and I wanted that to be represented. I, I agree. Oh, look at there. Your happy day. Yes. Um, the space is important because rooms take on the spirit of what's in there. You know, like 
like a haunted house almost. It takes on, you know, the, you get a vibe in a room and it absorbs that and it reflects it back. And, and I think the space is very important. Like I said, you know, when my bar closed, we went to another bar and it was the same people, but it was a different location and it just didn't feel the same. It just, you know. I don't want to undermine the emotion of this scene, but where Odo's like, it dawned on me. It's like being a teacher. He had that same realization in the documentary that I made 10 years ago. <laughs> he literally says the same thing on screen, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a lovely moment. Well, he had a, a double awakening. He had an awakening. Honestly, <laughs> though, when he says that, like, I created a good memory for them and that's all I needed to do, that, that really gets me. Say Steve does have a heart. Of course. <laughs> I know. No, Steve's a great dude. Bill has expressed that he, probably not surprisingly, he got emotional during that montage of photos. Oh, you know, sure. Kind of seeing him growing up at the store. I mean, yeah, look, you're all youngins. Yeah. Uh, but so now we get into the, the, the final piece here. And from, a, I don't know that I would say from the very, very beginning, but. Wait, a shot of Superman? What are they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and kudos to Bill. Bill makes all those shirts. Oh, really? Yeah. Did, were you the one, did you tell them that it's got to be Superman on there? <laughs> no, no, those were the actual store bags. Oh, so okay. there were different characters through oh, the I years. Gotcha. But, uh, you know, I knew, obviously it was a conscious choice to wear the AR shirts to the stores when I went to film, but I did not know that I was going to do this at the end of the movie. And then I realized I was like, I have the opportunity here to kind of make a statement about this. And sure. this idea that like I'm wearing this uniform to all of these places and, um, you know, to kind of kind of tie it all together here with the, the potential for for who knows what. So, you know, when people see this at screenings, of course, they ask, like, oh, are you going to bring back the store? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. It's certainly not something immediately, but it's something that if the right circumstances were to come together, I would certainly be open to it. But I wanted to end on, you know, from very early on in this process, I had this final shot in mind um, to end on this, you know, a uh, little bit bittersweet moment with a hint of, of optimism for the future. There you go. Oh, and two storage spaces, and the garage still looks like that. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> got no shortage of stuff. And yes, I say that people might look up in the sky, so there's another Superman yes, reference. Yeah. Not and lost the, on me, sir. The music here by Dan Pritchard uh, perfectly fit uh, the scene. And then we're into our credits. And now we get our Cannonball Run style outtakes. So yeah, we do have a few outtakes. The <laughs> credits are going to go quickly, so any final quick thoughts? Uh, I, I just love it, man. And it's nice to know. I, I'm don't have children i will never have children seems a waste of good genetic potential but hey uh i'm immortalized now yeah. <laughs> like down the road my niece is a nephew 20 years from now be like remember uncle sean yeah look there he is whatever happened to that guy yeah you ran away disappeared <laughs> you ran out into the woods and we never saw him again but now um i think this this movie is i've watched a lot of documentaries of this type and you know go on youtube and there's short little short films about comic shops and stuff but they're this one's got it all, man. This one really gets into all the, the little dark corners. of It covers all of it. Well, I thank you very much. I thank you for joining me for this commentary track. Thank you to everyone who was involved in this movie in any way. Uh, Kickstarter wait, wait. backer, musical, or I artistic contributor. Yeah, that was my favorite uh, <laughs> outtake. Uh, but thank you all, honestly, to be able to tell this story uh, on this scale. Uh, with the amount of stores that we visited, um, this really was, uh, this meant a lot to me. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And uh, I hope you'll take these words to heart and don't be a flat squirrel. 